With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 62nd episode of my show. I use my show to help raise awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, and I also love to provide worldwide listeners with practical tips and actions to help you to improve information security and also to help you better protect your privacy. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Google Play, Overcast, TuneIn, CastBox, PodToppin, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. And certainly, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website, so then you'll be notified just as soon as each new show is available. I sincerely appreciate all of you worldwide who tune in. This week, I want to give a shout out to a few of the countries where I had a large increase in the number of listeners over the past couple of weeks, and it's really exciting to see. So thank you to Brazil, Algeria, Slovenia, Israel, Paraguay, Panama, and Kenya, all places that would definitely be exciting to visit. Thank you for listening. And of course, I appreciate all of you in all the other cities throughout the world, in the at least now 63 countries listening. Thank you for tuning in. If you're interested in being a sponsor or advertiser for my show, please also get in touch. And if you need help with information security or privacy, let me know. I recently did some very interesting expert witness work. So keep me in mind if you ever have such a need. I I love doing those. And please keep all your feedback and questions coming in. I welcome them all. In fact, I got an email from Ben, a listener, with some comments about website security. And actually, Ben, I hope you're listening. Your message inspires me to do a show on implementing website security and privacy controls based on associated risks and also to look at some of those website analyzers that give grades on website security. But aha, do they actually take context into account before assigning those grades? From what I've seen, they do not. Different risk levels for the purposes of websites will create different types of needed security and privacy controls. Not all sites need to have the same level of security controls implemented if they do not have the same risk levels as, for example, 
e-commerce sites or, or banking sites. So much more to discuss about this. So that will be a topic for another time. So thank you for sending your message to me, Ben. Such feedback provides me with ideas for upcoming shows. So all your feedback, critical or positive or otherwise, is definitely welcome. A reminder that the NIST Privacy Framework Development is an active project, and it's going to last through the beginning of October of this year, 2019. We want to get as much feedback from as many different industries, the general public, and also as many countries and perspectives as possible. Please go to nist.gov forward slash privacy hyphen framework. And there you'll see more information. And also you can provide feedback on the many different documents that are located there. The next NIST Privacy Framework Workshop is May 13 and 14 in Atlanta, Georgia at Georgia Tech. And you can sign up for that workshop at the privacy-framework section of the NIST.gov site also. Now, earlier today, April 23rd, I was thrilled to participate in an online event sponsored by the Westchester Biotech Project. This was a roundtable event, and it was titled Translating Data Science, Data Ownership, and Security. Now, we discussed using patient data for research and doing that utilizing artificial intelligence and big data analytics. And we discussed how security and privacy are of utmost importance to ensure patients are not harmed or their privacy infringed upon when their data is used for health research. We also discussed how strong security controls will result in even more patient benefits and their their health data ownership can be better preserved when these issues are addressed in a meaningful way. Plus, well, so much more. There was a really great roundtable discussion after I gave an approximately 20-minute lead-in describing some of the security and privacy risks involved. And a recording of that event will soon be available and possibly already is posted. So go to westchesterbiotechproject.org and click on all events. I'd love to hear your feedback if you watch or listen to the event recording. My April Privacy Professor Tips message was published on March 29th. You can sign up for my free monthly tips messages by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. I provide them free, and I do this because I want to help increase general awareness of information security and privacy issues, and I do this also to provide a free awareness publication for organizations to send to their employees as part of their information security and privacy education programs, and it also supports their due diligence requirements. So now to my tip for the week. On April 17th, last week, it was widely reported that Facebook had, quote, 
unintentionally uploaded, end quote, 1.5 million people's email contacts without their knowledge or consent when they opened up their Facebook accounts. And these would be for new accounts that were created since May of 2016. So basically, when someone signed up for Facebook from May 2016 until now, or, you know, very recently, Facebook was asking these new Facebook users to enter their own personal email accounts Passwords And these were email accounts outside of Facebook, of course, because they were just signing up. So they were asking them to give them their passwords to the email accounts they had elsewhere as a way to verify their identity. Now, this, of course, is a horrible practice to begin with. No, well, no security and privacy aware business should ever Ask their customers or clients, users, patients, anyone signing up for their service for the password of their accounts that they have elsewhere with other entities. So that is a huge no-no to begin with. Then Facebook reportedly automatically access that other email account with the provided password. And while they were doing so, they imported all of those new users' other email contacts from those other email accounts into the Facebook system with no permission provided by the new Facebook users. So just think about all your emails you have in your personal email accounts or if people use their business accounts to do this. Think about all those customer and client email accounts. Think about how many others have unknowingly allowed for your various email addresses to be uploaded to Facebook in this way and possibly accessed by Facebook's third parties as a result of this, quite frankly, poorly thought out and bad practice by Facebook. Definitely a topic I'm going to cover in an upcoming episode. And And not only is it about Facebook, but it's just one more example of the increasing lack of rigorous applications development practices and lack of risk considerations when when determining such things as how to verify identities. Well, there's so much to say about this and so many lessons to cover. But for now, my tip related to this is this. Never give any organization, business, application, anyone, never give them your email account password as a way to verify your identity. Any type of password. You should never tell, uh, share any type of password with others. Never. No matter what someone is telling you, do not share your passwords with others. And yes, that is yet another important show topic we could cover. Well, my regular listeners know my passion about applications, controls, development, and change management, in addition to authentication and login credential security, and the huge concerns around those issues. But today, I want to discuss something different that is also a long-time concern of mine, but I've not yet covered it during one of my shows. On April 10th of 2019, a darkreading.com news article heading and subheading caught my eye. 
and it stated, quote, majority of hotel websites leak guest booking info. Third parties such as ad search engine and analytics firms often have access to guest name, address, phone numbers, credit cards, and other data, semantics says, end quote. So, What the report basically said was a semantic researcher reportedly tested more than 1,500 hotels in 54 different countries and found that 67% of them leaked, and that's the term used in the article, leaked data, to third-party advertisers, social media websites, data aggregators, and other types of third parties, and the article said that the guest information provided to the third parties included the guest's full name, address, their phone numbers, passport numbers, that blew my mind, and the last four digits of credit card numbers. Now, Semantics stated, quote, the information shared could allow these third-party services to log into a reservation view personal details, and even cancel booking altogether, end quote. So that's pretty startling, right? Go read the full report, and you might also be alarmed. Um, Today, I want to cover the topic of hotel security and privacy in particular, going, you know, beyond those particular issues, but also um, things that have impact within the hospitality industry in general. Over the last couple of decades, while traveling to many different locations, I've really been concerned about hotel security and privacy. In fact, for many years, I've used my own mobile Wi-Fi device when I travel. And I take that device. It's pretty little. It's easy to travel with. I take that with me, and it has really strong security controls. And and I use that Wi-Fi device when I go online. I never use the free Wi-Fi in airports or other places. And I don't use hotel Wi-Fi. But, you know, I know that some hotels have better security on their networks than others. But I use my mobile Wi-Fi device because I've gotten used to using it. I like using it. Well, today I am thrilled to have as my guest someone who has, I think, worked most of his career helping hotels and others in the hospitality industry, as well as many other industries, for that matter, to mitigate their security and privacy risk. Chris Zolatz is the founder of Navigate LLC. It's a consultancy that specializes in helping organizations of all sizes meet information protection, privacy, compliance, and governance requirements. Prior to Navigate, Chris was the Vice President of Information Protection and Privacy at Marriott International. Chris was a founding board member and past chairman of the International Association of Privacy Professionals that most of you listening probably know better as the IAPP. Chris has numerous professional certifications and has been named one of the top privacy advisors by Computer World and is also a past recipient of the IAPP Vanguard Award as Chief Privacy Officer of the Year. See more about Chris at my Voice America Business website with the information that goes along with this show. Chris, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. 
Thank you, Rebecca. I'm delighted to be here today and join you as your guest on your 62nd show, which is very impressive. Well, thank you. The time just flies. I don't, <laughs> I don't know where the last <laughs> year went, but I, I'm so happy to talk with you about this topic because it's, it has been something I've been concerned about for such a long time. But first, I think before we get into a lot of the specifics, I think a lot of our listeners might be interested in hearing, you know, how long have you been helping organizations and clients with privacy and data security in the hotel and hospitality space? Sure. So I actually started my career in privacy back in August of 1999, so almost 20 years ago now. And at that point in time, I had the good fortune of working at Marriott International and working with the then general counsel and the uh, technology senior counsel. Uh, who realized the value of personal information uh, above and beyond uh, just at then, the, you know, at that point in time, what was recent and kind of top of mind of a lot of companies was the EU Data Protection Directive back in the late 90s. But there was a vision, an understanding that personal information uh, had strategic value above and beyond just meeting compliance requirements. So anyways, at that point in time, the information protection and privacy function at Marriott was established, and we were you know, one of the first Fortune 500 companies at the time to really formalize around that and to create a position which I had the, the privilege of, of leading for the better part of a decade. So we started with a, kind of a blank sheet of paper and built and matured the information protection and privacy program over the course of, uh, of a decade. I, I then left Marriott in April of 2009, so uh, 10 years ago, roughly. We actually celebrated our 10-year anniversary at Navigate LLC last Monday and created Navigate, which, as you mentioned, is an information protection and privacy consultancy. And over this last decade, we have continued to work with companies in the hospitality industry and also, as you mentioned, with companies in numerous other industries uh, as well. So I've been at this game for, for some time, and both internally as, as leading and creating a privacy program, uh, an information protection program, and, and also as an external consultant. Well, that must have been so interesting and probably sometimes a little bit overwhelming to, to start an entire privacy program uh, brand new from scratch at such a large organization. But what an opportunity as well. Um, you know, go ahead. Indeed, indeed. And, you know, and I think back on that time almost 20 years ago now, and I think just generally, you know, the general population's awareness and sensitivity around information privacy was certainly not anywhere uh, what it is today, where, you know, every day when we turn on the television, we go online and look at uh, news articles or we pick up a print newspaper, you you cannot escape uh, a story, a reporting about, you know, some privacy issue, whether it's in the government sector or whether it's in uh, the commercial sector, as an example you were describing uh, earlier in the show. It's, it's just sort of everywhere. And I think what that has done is it has sort of raised the, the bar, if you will, for organizations who are dealing with, with personal data, which is pretty much everybody, uh, in, in terms of, you know, their their customers' awareness and sensitivity and expectations about uh, how they're going to respect their personal data. 
Yes. Well, and talking about raising awareness. So when we go into a hotel, oftentimes as we're checking in, a lot of times there's the placards there at the front desk. And a lot of times they'll say that that um, the hotel's operated by some other company other than the actual hotel name. And, you know, I bet a lot of people who have this raised awareness as they're looking at that, they're like, huh, is this a third party to the hotel? Or what is the relationship between the hotel brand and the franchisee as it pertains to information security and privacy then? Yeah, the hotel ecosystem is really pretty complex and certainly more complex than most people realize. So they're the players, the major players in the, the ecosystem. First, there's the hotel brand, which, you know, we, we all are familiar with who the big brands are. And then oftentimes, most of the time, for that matter, there's actually an owner of the hotel, some group that actually owns the physical building and structure. It might be a real estate investment trust. It might be an insurance company. It might be a group of private equity investors, whatever the, whatever the case may be. Uh, and then, in addition to that, oftentimes the hotel is being operated by a franchisee or a third-party management company. So there's kind of three, you know, three major players uh, in the equation: the the brand, the hotel owner themselves, and then the the franchisee or management company. So uh, all of that as as a way to say that decision making in a hotel uh, with that ecosystem isn't always as straightforward as it is in other organizations where, you know, there's one person or one group of people who can make the decisions. So, for example, uh, hotel owners, they have a Mm -hmm. say in terms of what sort of uh, uh, spend is going to be uh, approved for their particular hotel, whether it's for, you know, a new security, a new camera system for physical security purposes, or whether it's system upgrades. Um, at the hotel that the brand in and of themselves can't always make that decision and the franchisee can't always make that decision either, although sometimes they can, sometimes they can't, Uh, but usually decision-making is just more complicated uh, in that environment. So if there's going to be a request for you know, physical structure improvements or or system improvements that, you know, that's going to be... uh, a more involved conversation than it is at a lot of companies. The other thing, just to be mindful of, kind of stating the obvious mm-hmm. here, but hotels are places that never close. They're open mm-hmm. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Every day of the year, they got people coming in and out. Granted, some times of the day are a little slower than others, but whenever there are any changes that need to happen, whether it's a system upgrade, you know, for, you know, to put in better security or applying security patches, whatever the case may be, that all of that has to happen while operations are maintained. So there are no timeouts. There is no downtime. Uh, so it is a, you know, it, it's a very challenging environment at the hotel level. Well, and not only that, but what struck me as you were describing that, you, you talked about the decision making and so on. But what I was thinking of, too, is if you have three distinct entities, who, do all three of those get all of the data? Then that comes in through the guests at the hotel and maybe even the guests within the the restaurants and so on. I mean, who has access to all that data then if there's three, you know, entities kind of governing things? Yeah, so it really depends. Uh, If, 
you know, the, it's, let's just say it's a branded hotel, and the brands generally are providing centralized systems like a reservation system and the property management system that is used to check guests in and out and keep track of their charges while on property. Um, that, you know, there's certainly data, personal data, that's going into those systems. There, there may be, to further complicate things, there may be hotels, or I'm sorry, restaurants in hotels that are not operated by the hotel but the restaurant operator is essentially leasing space in the hotel, and they may need to have access to certain information about guests to be able to apply a room charge when the guest is eating at this restaurant and doesn't realize that it's not really affiliated with the hotel. It's just co-located with the hotel. But generally, the, the brand is going to have access to much of the information, as is the franchisee or the management company that is actually operating the hotel. The owner group generally doesn't have access to any personal information. They are, are pretty much just per, uh, privy to the, the, the financial results and the operating statistics, and they really have no business need or reason to know exactly who was in room 432 on any particular night and how much they spent in the restaurant or bar or anything like that. But, but absolutely, the, the brand and the management company are going to have access to, uh, to all of that information. Wow. Well, as you say that, you know, I often just charge my room if I order room service, if I feel like, you know, usually, and I know you could probably relate to this too, if you're working, a lot of times it's just easier to order room service, so charge it to my room, and or mm-hmm. if you're in the restaurant, put it on the, the room. So is that pretty safe? I mean, for our listeners who are probably wondering about that, is that a fairly secure thing to do just to allow charges to go to the room then? It, if there's multiple entities involved, like you said, the, the restaurant might be separate? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, certainly I think at the large, you know, hotel brands that they have, uh, they have invested the time and effort to make sure that those touch points, those integrations between systems are, you know, are reasonably uh, secured. And, and it is, you know, it's impossible generally for a guest to really know kind of what outlet, whether it's a restaurant or it could be a spa or, you know, if it's a hotel that has golf, you know, whether or not the, you know, the greens fees are and, and the system keeping track of all that are are uh, under the control of the hotel or, or third right. party. But but the big operators uh, are, are, are pretty keenly aware of, you know, the importance of making sure those are uh, those are secured touch points and, and integrations between systems. So I would say yes. I, okay. I personally, Good. I don't hesitate. I do the same thing. I like to keep everything right on the room room charge and not be pulling out a credit card, right. you know, every every thirty minutes to give to somebody else, but just uh, charge it all to the room. Well, you know what? It's already time for our break here. So we'll pick up this conversation after uh, we take a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that I do appreciate so much. I'm speaking today with Chris Zolatz, privacy expert about hotel and hospitality industry security and privacy. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my PrivacyGuidance.com website. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors.
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and I'm speaking today with Chris Zolatz, privacy expert about hotel and hospitality industry security and privacy. So when we're thinking about um, going into hotels and, and all the things that are associated with them, you know, conference spaces and, and spas and resorts and all that, Chris, can you maybe describe for our worldwide listeners the typical types of personal information that's collected within the hotels and maybe even kind of the different places where they might be collected through? Sure. So generally, hotels, as you would expect, they do collect a lot of personal information uh, about guests. So, you know, thinking about maybe a little bit of the full life cycle, if you will, uh, from the time you make a reservation where they have to collect you know, your contact information, your name, your email address, maybe they're collecting a phone number, uh, generally not postal addresses anymore, but, you know, they need that information to be able to know who's going to be checking in when and to be able to send uh, a confirmation and to be able to secure the room um, as well from a payment perspective. So you're going to be providing your, your credit card number as well. Depending on where you're traveling, you may also be required to provide a passport number uh, as well. That's only under certain circumstances. That's not a, a routine practice. Certainly for people who are U.S. citizens traveling in the U.S., you're, you shouldn't be asked for your 
uh, your passport number. Uh, there may also be uh, information collected pertaining to, you know, your room type um, and, and perhaps even dietary restrictions. If you're part of a group event and will be, you know, dining, they, they know you'll be partaking in some meals at the property. And those two pieces of information, the room type and dietary restrictions, are interesting in that, you know, they can reveal perhaps, you know, whether you have a disability, they could perhaps reveal your religion uh, as well. So now, even though they're not asking you for your religion, they may be able to infer that based on things you tell them about dietary restrictions or uh, or preferences. There, there may be other information that's gathered either uh, at the time of reservation or upon check-in in terms of preference. I like, you know, I like a, a low floor versus a high floor or, or vice versa. I want to face one direction versus another direction. It's pretty interesting. Some of the very specific yeah. preferences that some people have <laughs> when, when mm-hmm. they're traveling and, and staying in hotels. Uh, and then, you know, it, if you're making a reservation online or engaging with any of the, the, the sites online, there's going to be information that's collected as part of that. Generally, you know, most sites, uh, and this isn't necessarily maybe specific to hotels, are going to be setting cookies, you know, when you're visiting the site. And then that's going to be used for a number of purposes, but one of which is for uh, targeted advertising so that you know, you can then be uh, looking at an ad for the hotel uh, at some sub- or be served an ad for a hotel at, at a subsequent point in time. So uh, generally, you know, there's going to be some level of personal data collected as part of part of that online experience. And then, and this can vary widely by hotel brand and hotel size as well. But within the customer relationship management systems, there can be some very rich information about uh, about guests that guests are sharing with the hotel, uh, whether it's, you know, children, uh, w- children's names, wife's name, uh, that sort of information. And, you know, generally the intent of gathering all this information is to, you know, obviously facilitate the, the reservation and the stay in the most efficient way possible and have the information to do that. Uh, but then also to be able to personalize uh, the experience and the interaction on an ongoing basis. So, for example, if I'm an avid reader of the Wall Street Journal and I'm staying in New York, I don't want the New York Times outside of my room uh, in the morning, but I want the Wall Street Journal. So there could be a note of that made so that the next time I'm at the hotel or perhaps a different hotel – uh, of the same brand name, uh, that Wall Street Journal is going to appear outside of my door, and I don't need to ask for it kind of over and over. So anyways, there's, there is a, a lot of information that, that generally is collected you know, during the reservation process. There's uh, some additional information upon the check-in process, and then any in- online interaction, there will be personal information uh, collected as well. And sometimes what makes its way into these CRM systems uh, could also be observed. Uh, information as well. So, for example, if housekeeping observes that even though the the mini fridge bar in the room is stocked with Diet Pepsi, uh, those Diet Pepsi cans are, are never uh, the Diet Pepsi is never uh, drunk. But the housekeeper notices that there are four Diet Coke cans in the trash. Well, you know that may be noted, and therefore. When I come back to my room the, the next day or evening, uh, instead of Diet Pepsi in the fridge, there may be Diet Coke uh, because it's 
observed and inferred that, you know, I prefer Diet Coke versus Diet Pepsi. So the level of information can get fairly, fairly detailed. Wow. That's really interesting. I never realized that. Maybe I should uh, bring an empty steak container or something and put it in my trash and I might find a steak in my refrigerator, right, when I come back from <laughs> from being uh, working all day. That's really interesting. Well, you know what's what's really interesting, too, is how things are changing in recent years. Like um, we have so much new tech and we have so many different types of and ways of interacting with hotels and other businesses. And, you know, in recent years now, the hotels I check into always want me to check in early or check in a day before through their app. And so, you know, we have all these emerging tech that brings all these emerging threats and vulnerabilities, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what are they dealing with today hotels in general that they didn't have to deal with, you know, five, 10 or 15 years ago? Yeah, I think basically, you know, probably the biggest in my mind is just the sophistication of the, uh, of the attacks by the bad actors. Um, how, mm-hmm. how uh, hotels have in, in some cases become the, the targets of, you know, sophisticated bad actor groups. And, and some would say as well, and this may be, uh, proven that you know some nation state attacks as well have been launched against hotel companies because you know they are large treasure troves of personal data um, particularly you know the large operators that are dealing with millions of people every year that's that's a lot of information that's being collected and uh, and maintained so in my mind, I think that that really is the, the biggest thing just the, the sophistication and and also the you know, knowing the, uh, the the funding that some of these bad actor groups have, you know, to be able to uh, really have uh, a, a strong talent pool, if you will, of people that can, you know, can really, um, you know, can really test the, the, the controls of, uh, of a hotel and, and, you know, trying to get into their network and penetrate the, those very rich information systems. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, something else I worry about is um, the third parties who are used by the hotels because I know just through working with a lot of clients over the years that oftentimes those contracted third parties are bring with them a lot of vulnerabilities and oftentimes they're used as pathways into the main organization, you know, so mm-hmm. how many contractors or third parties do hotels typically engage that have some sort of access to guest data? Is there kind of an average or does that vary wildly? Yeah, so it it does vary pretty significantly, you know, depending on the size of the hotel. And and generally, the larger the hotel, the more third parties uh, are going to be in that you know, in that ecosystem. We were talking a little bit earlier about like restaurants and spa providers and perhaps golf and, um, you know, there might be uh, a salon on the property uh, as well that, again, can be operated, owned and operated by a third party who's just sort of merely leasing space uh, in the hotel, but then, again, needs to interact with certain hotel systems to be able to make sure the person is really a guest of the hotel and can process a room charge against, you know, against their folio. But then there are other 
uh, third parties as well that are, you know, providing different types of services, whether it's, you know, pushing marketing emails on behalf of the hotel or, or it might be a co-marketing partner. It could be another business in the local area that the hotel is partnered with to, to basically, you know, help drive hotel guests to, you know, some other entertainment venue, whatever, you know, whether it's a theme park or uh, whatever the case may be. So th- there can be a, you know, fairly substantial number of third parties that can be involved with, you know, w- with a hotel that are going to be privy to some level of personal data about, about those particular guests in, in most cases. And then, of course, you know, there's the credit card. Uh, processors mm-hmm. themselves that, you know, they need to get all those uh, financial details to be able to, to, to process a charge that the guest wants to put on, that, on their credit card. Oh, yes. Well, I can imagine. I mean, I know a lot of my clients in other industries often have literally hundreds. And like even with large hospital systems, sometimes those have over a thousand third parties. So I can imagine with a, a hotel chain that they could probably have literally thousands in a large hotel chain vendors associated with them in some way. So what are some of the most frequent mistakes that you've seen hotels make with their their third parties or their contractors that leave vulnerabilities that result in incidents or breaches? So one of the things that, that I see, although I do see it getting better <laughs> generally, uh, but currently, uh, over-reliance on contracts with these third parties, and I should say mm. the, the representations and warranties in the contracts, where you know there's confidentiality provisions, there's security requirements and provisions and the like, uh, and data handling provisions that are, are part of these agreements. But sometimes what is lacking is the due diligence of the vendor. You know, the, even though the vendor is willing to sign that contract, you know, have, have you really gotten at least a reasonable understanding of what their practices and capabilities are as it relates to security and privacy? And that can happen in a number of ways, whether it's through, you know, a checklist or whether it's through an on-site visit or perhaps the, you know, perhaps the third party has a, a SOC report that, you know, an independent uh, uh, assessor or reviewer, typically CPA firms doing these reviews, issuing these reports to to provide some assurance that the third party really does have reasonable controls in place. But but that uh, that that still is an area I think generally for you know for a lot of organizations where where additional improvement is needed, and you know and recognizing that. You know, not all third parties pose the same level of of risk. Uh, to do this on a, a risk based approach, you know, recognizing that no company, no hotel, or others have unlimited resources to dedicate, you know, to this or any other activity. That you have to be smart and thoughtful about how you go about uh, performing the due diligence and you know performing it at a level that is appropriate for the the risk that the third party poses to the the hotel, given the personal information that they're going to be privy to or be handling on behalf um, of the hotel. So I, I think that's, uh, you know, that's a big area. The other area I would just mention with third parties, and we see this continuously, where certain individuals at third parties, they need access to certain systems for a defined business purpose. But you know, third parties experience staff turnover uh, as well, where somebody who is maybe you know, performing a service 
to a hotel today may leave that third party tomorrow, and their access rights aren't always uh, always deleted on a timely basis. So now you've got somebody who's no longer associated with that third party delivering a service to a hotel that has access to whatever system they were provided access to to perform the service they were engaged to. So that's that's an area that I think needs uh, generally um, a little more attention as well. Oh, yes, yes. And, you know, talking about third-party risks that they bring and, and doing due diligence, that's just one part of an overall complete security and privacy management program. And, of course, doing all these things you need to do takes support of your business executives at the top of the organization. And oftentimes, um, that funding and the resources are just not there. So if you could give a hotel CEOs, you know, three things that they could do to help dramatically improve their organization's information security program, which would also improve the privacy of their guests, what would you recommend to CEOs uh, that they should invest in or that they should support uh, for those programs? So the first thing I would suggest is that to ensure that information security and information privacy are a strategic priority for the organization, just like operations, marketing, mm-hmm. human resources, you know, other uh, other functional areas within the organization that, you know, this needs to be a strategic priority. It can't be something that I think is just dealt with as sort of an add-on or just something additional, but it's, uh, you know, in my mind, it, it's it's key. It's vital to uh, to many companies, particularly hotel companies that are very dependent on the trust and the loyalty of their guests and information security and privacy, probably uh, not too many faster ways to degrade that trust and loyalty than to breach a uh, guest's uh, information security or privacy. The other thing is, is kind of you just mentioned, Rebecca, is you know, to ensure that there's proper funding. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, security and privacy, they're a strategic priority for us, but that needs to be backed up with the funding to actually staff it appropriately, to actually acquire, uh, you know, technologies that are going to be supportive of good information security and privacy. So I think that's the second one. The third one I would suggest is that the CEO not be a spectator uh, to security and privacy. And by that, I mean, you know, he or she should be demanding, should be engaging with the security and privacy teams on some periodic basis to understand, you know, what the risk profile of the organization is. What are the issues? What are the challenges? What more could we be doing? Should we be doing? Uh, Is there adequate funding? Do we need more? Uh, I think that's important versus... How it happens at some organizations where there may be a security and or a privacy presentation that is done at the board of director level or audit committee level, but that's a once a year event or maybe it's a couple times a year, you know, that's really not, in my mind, uh, adequate or sufficient oversight and and leadership for security and privacy. So those are the three things that I would would recommend. Those sound great. And, you know, Kind of related to that, too, that I've seen a lot of business leaders concerned with is uh, what's in the headlines, like we were talking about the Wall Street Journal. So there's mm-hmm. a lot in the headlines about the EU general data protection regulation, or GDPR, and California's 
you know, new upcoming uh, pr- Consumer Privacy Act. So what impact do you think these new regulations such as the EU GDPR and, and the CCPA will have on hotels in general? Well, it's certainly created a lot of work, that's for sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, because of the, the, the rather uh, comprehensive nature of the requirements in the GDPR and, and CCPA, yeah, to a little bit of a lesser extent, but still, there are, there are requirements there, like, do we even know where all of our California personal data is? Uh, and, you know, for some uh, hotel, larger operators, that, you know, that's not a trivial question. There can be data mm-hmm. in many different systems, and both structured data unstructured data it can be in a lot of different places which which can make this uh, uh, challenging but but I think overall that with the GDPR and CCPA and likely there'll be other US states that push through similar type legislation or maybe there'll be a even a US federal bill as as uh, some are talking about now and are putting forward but all of that, I think, has made the hotel industry better, so to speak, at information privacy and, and security uh, as well. And, and kind of a parallel that I think about is back in the, the late 90s and early 2000s, well, particularly 2004, when the credit card industry put forth the Payment Card Industry Data Security mm-hmm. Standard, or PCI DSS, I mean, that really was a huge driver for uh, refocusing companies on the security of their credit card data. And I would, I would say that, you know, absent that, I don't know that that same level of effort would have occurred. So mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a good driver that, you know, increased the, the security generally around credit card data. It didn't make it in, invulnerable, but it certainly made it a lot better and I view the GDPR and CCPA and the others, others that will come, I'm sure, you know, kind of similarly, that it's going to require uh, companies to get to a, a higher level uh, as it relates to their, their data privacy and, and data security practices. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. It's kind of like with HIPAA, too, um, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act for listeners who aren't familiar with that in the healthcare space. But, you know, I think a lot of healthcare providers and insurers, I think they wouldn't have addressed a lot of those issues if they weren't forced to through that regulation, even though, you know, there's many different opinions about how successful that is. But I think things would be much different now without that. But what do you think um, with regard to legal requirements um, that hotels now have to deal with with regard to privacy uh, and security? What do you think they're struggling with the most to meet compliance? I think probably there's two areas, and maybe for the same reason, the, the, uh, and it all goes around data mapping, you know, really, or data inventorying, mm. depending on your preference of terminology. You know, do you really have a good understanding of what personal data you have and where is it in, you know, mm-hmm. in the, the, the systems? And that is something that, you know, I think many organizations don't really have uh, a full grasp of. And the larger the organization, the, the more systems that are being used, the more diversity in systems that are being used, sort of the bigger the challenge um, in, in this regard. And then, you know, you start thinking about structured and unstructured data. You know, it's, it can be difficult enough to understand 
and document where all this personal data is within, you know, the, the structured data world. And then you start to think about the unstructured data world, and, and it almost be, you know, becomes pretty depressing <laughs> uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, and, and within the hotel industry, you know, there, there's a great diversity of technology that, that is used. So even, even a hotel in the same brand, you know, location A, may not have exactly the same technology in use as location B. Um, so that adds further complexity is that it's not like, well, okay, we know that every one of these locations uses this system in this way. And once we get this understood, that's sort of the end of it, but it's, it's even more, more complicated. So I think data mapping or data inventorying, and that's very important because under GDPR and CCPA, when, you know, you receive an individual rights request, access request. Well, you know, if you don't know where the data is, it, it's going to be hard to know where to go and harvest it to be able to report it back to the individual requesting it. Mm. Now, similarly, I think for kind of the same reason of not always knowing where all the data is, is the data deletion requirement as well, or under GDPR, as they refer to it, the right to be forgotten for mm-hmm. somebody who, for whatever reason, you know, all of a sudden wants to be taken out of all of your uh, all of your systems and assume, you know, that's a legally valid and actionable request. Um, again, if you don't know where all that data is, then how can you know you've, you've actually deleted and complied with that request? So I, I think that seems to be the, you know, sort of that biggest challenge is just getting, you know, getting their arms around where all that personal data is. Yes, yes, especially with so many different endpoints and everything else collecting and storing that data. Well, believe it or not, we're already at the end of the hour, and I didn't even get into the the traveler issues that I wanted to talk with you about. So I'll definitely have to have you back to talk about security and privacy from a traveler's perspective when, you know, they're going to hotels and all. But for the last question today, uh, for, you know, in about two minutes time, what would you like to communicate to our listeners is a key point about hotel privacy and data security uh, that you want them to remember as one key takeaway from listening to the show today? Sure. So I'll I'll offer that up uh, from the perspective of of an individual traveler. So mm-hmm. I would say that, you know, just to remember that hotels are public and private places, uh, certainly public in the sense when you're in a public part of the hotel, the the lobby, the restaurant, you're in a hallway, you're in an elevator, that there there are cameras for security purposes. They're recording uh, activity. So you're coming, you're going, a- any actions you may take when you are in the, the public area of the hotel, you should expect are going to be on a recording someplace. Uh, the, the other thing I would off, uh, offer is to be careful as a traveler for some of the bad actors who will hang out in hotels and call rooms from house phones impersonating hotel staff. Mm. And one of the scams, for example, is they'll call, they'll impersonate somebody from the front desk and say, gosh, when you were checking in earlier, we swiped your credit card, but, uh, you know, we've, we've got an error now in our system. Can you please just, you know, read me your, your credit card number so that I can get it processed for you and checkout will be faster. Uh, so there's scams like that. So be skeptical. People at hotels, hotel staff, that is, will not be calling you, asking you for your credit card over the phone. So don't give it to them if you get such a call. Yes. Go down to the front desk. Uh, right. Lastly, I would just offer from a physical security perspective, 
there's there's a reason that there are locks on the doors in hotel rooms, both, you know, the deadbolts and the latches that certainly, you know, when you're in your room, it's it's prudent to make sure that you're, you know, locking taking advantage of those locks and not opening the door for somebody you're not expecting uh, at the room yeah. and also protecting your room number. You know, don't repeat your room number yeah. out loud in a, in a public area of the hotel. So Definitely. those are just some quick, some quick tips, quick uh, kind of reminders that as a traveler, also one last thing, be careful, you know, to uh, what you connect to your devices to, uh, you'd mentioned earlier, the, uh, the, the portable uh, portable yes. Wi-Fi, which is always a great idea. Control your own hotspot is is always a good idea, no matter where you are. Thank you. Thanks so much for being with me today, Chris. Uh, a lot of great information. My so, pleasure. Thanks. So today I've been speaking with Chris Zolatz, privacy expert and security expert about hotel and hospitality industry security and privacy. Please send feedback about this show. Would you like to hear more about this topic? Did you find the information we provided helpful? Please let me know. And uh, I w- always love getting your feedback. You can contact me using Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Please tune into the show each week. You can always listen to all of my recordings from all my past shows at um, my Voice America Business website. And I urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work, or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and work for, hey, are you doing all that you can to secure the information that I've entrusted to you? Ask them that and be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.